You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou art. Would you join me for a word of prayer? <laughs> Gracious Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be in your house again to have been called here this morning, each of us by name, to hear this word, to know you better, to receive what only you can give. Bless now your servant as I speak, that I may speak only what is pleasing to you, that we all might grow in our knowledge of what you wish for us, and growing, embrace it with our heart, that our lives may come to reflect your love. This we ask in your name, for you live and reign with the Holy Spirit and with the Father, one God, now and forever. Amen. Virtue untested is vanity. Virtue untested is vanity. I'll say this a lot, probably forgetting I said it before from the pulpit, because it's one of those sayings that strikes me as one of the most profoundly true things I've ever experienced. It's easy to think you're strong when you only lift feathers. It's easy to think you're courageous when you play Call of Duty but don't face real weapons. Virtue untested is vanity. To know we are strong, we must be tested. To grow in strength, we must find our limits and train to grow beyond, go beyond them. Yesterday in the sanctuary, we had an Eagle Scout ceremony for our Boy Scout troop. Four of our young men uh, in that troop were raised up to Eagle Scout. One of them, who's a member of our congregation, Sam Vitashinsky. And um, they were celebrated not because they read a couple of books, but because they had demonstrated skills. They had grown. They'd shown service to their community. They'd shown that their community spirit was more than just a nice idea. But rather, they'd put skin in the game. Our reading today from Romans... Is St. Paul talking about how the Lord grows us in virtue through testing? But before we go there, I want to start in the gospel reading. Because in that gospel reading, Jesus is going to reveal something about himself. Now, the late Christopher Hitchens, uh, he was what they used to, he was one of the new atheists, as they called them. He was, uh, they, they referred to them as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, he, they would get up and often have debates with uh, Christian speakers. Uh, he and Doug Wilson actually wrote a book together and went on tour together debating each other in public. Now, Christopher Hitchens compared the biblical God 
who is all-seeing and all-knowing, as we said in our opening confession, knows stuff about ourselves we even hide from ourselves or don't know about ourselves. He knows that about us. Well, Christopher Hitchens compared that God to the Chinese police state that's always in surveillance mode, always trying to find something they can use against you, always trying to control you. But in our reading from the Gospel, it's the fact that Jesus knows all this stuff about this woman that she seems to find comforting, that she seems to find inspiring, so much so that this woman who is an outcast in her own community goes back to that community to share with them what she's experienced with him. Now, how do we know she was an outcast? Because she's coming for water at the sixth hour of the day. That's the hottest part of the day. All the other women in the town would have come to Jacob's well for the water in the cool of the morning when the travel was easy. The fact that she was coming at the sixth hour meant that they would not bear her company. She had been cast out by the women of her community, quite possibly for the serial adultery that Jesus references later. She wasn't welcome. And when she comes to sit down, when she comes to get the water, Jesus speaks to her and he engages her in conversation. Now this is startling at a number of levels because the taboo in Jewish society was to never speak to a Samaritan, as St. John reminds us, that Samaritans have no dealings with Jews, or Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, but equally that she's a woman he's speaking to in public. Because in that day and age, you only spoke to women you were related to in public. This is what startles his disciples when they return. But despite the fact that Jesus is going to lower the boom on her and say some some things that she probably would rather had stayed hidden, some things maybe she was ashamed of, the kind of things we confess at the beginning of service, but we do it silently so our neighbors don't hear us, right? Despite the fact that Jesus is going to talk openly with her about that, there's something in Jesus' demeanor, something in his personality or character that touches her deeply and makes her feel not afraid and sends her back to her community to share with them that perhaps she has met the Messiah, the one whom God has promised is coming for so long. Now, what would that be? Well, St. Paul lays it out for us in Romans 5.8. Maybe we might be willing to die for a really righteous person, but who's going to die for a scumbag? Well, the answer is God himself. When he comes, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not waiting for us to earn our place to get an award like our Eagle Scouts did, like you're pursuing whatever rank you're going for. Rather, God was willing to, once He took on a human life, lay it down for us while we despised Him, while we hated Him, while we were in open rebellion to Him. That we might have eternal life. That we might have an inheritance in His kingdom. 
Now, Jesus, as the only Son of God, gets that inheritance by nature. That's what the purpose of the sonship language is. It's not just because he's a guy. It's inheritance language. Jesus gets by nature because he is the Son of God, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, as we will say in the Nicene Creed. He gets by his very nature everything that God has to offer in his kingdom. But that's not true for us. We are God's fallen children. We are God's children who have run away from God's kingdom. Who by our persistent sin have shown that we despise God and all He stands for. So we need to receive our invitation into the kingdom, our place in the kingdom, our communion with God, which is what this is really about. This is not about going to heaven like it's some better place. It's about communing with God. We need to receive that as a gift for it's not something we can earn. And so God gives us that gift even at the cost of His own life in Jesus Christ. Now He has claimed us for a place in His kingdom. A place where we will be princes and princesses. Children of God. St. Paul will say in one of his, his letters, don't you know you're going to judge the nations, folks? You better, you better become the kind of people you need to be in God's kingdom. And that's what the rest of the Romans passage is about. It's about how God grows us in godly character once He has bestowed upon us as gift our justification our place in His kingdom. Now we need to learn, we have to grow into the kind of people who can function well in the role for which we've been chosen. That's the good news. We are chosen for a place in God's kingdom as His children. Here's the bad news. The road begins with suffering. I wish I had better news for you than that this morning, but it begins with suffering. Now, here's the deal. It's not suffering because Jesus suffered. You're going to suffer because you were born into a world full of sinners. A broken world. A world that's under our curse. A world that is under a curse because of our sin. I saw a lot of patches on the back of your jackets that indicated Earth Day and stuff like that, right? Yeah, the world's suffering because of us. That's one part of the Christian message that still resonates outside the church. going to suffer because you're living amongst people who are going to make you suffer. And those of you who've lived long enough know that the worst betrayals in life are not from your opponents. They're not even from your enemies. They're from your friends. We see that with Moses. Moses has risked his life to bring the people out of slavery. And what do they do when they come out of slavery? Complain. And they go beyond complaining. They're ready to stone him in the reading we just heard. Suffering is part of living a human life. But when we have faith in what we're being prepared for, as it says in Romans 8, 28, that God can make all things work for good for those who love Him, we know what we're being prepared for. Now the suffering is not just pain. It's something that can bring forth something better. God is allowing it in our lives that something better might come. And that thing is endurance. 
Like I said, when I was showing the kids, when we're doing those planks, you stand there and you shake and it hurts. But you know you're getting stronger little by little. Now, I wouldn't do that just to get stronger generically. I'm training for something. The suffering that happens in our lives and the way we rise to meet it can produce in us endurance. The ability to withstand the pain, to bear up under it, and to bear up under more of it than we thought we could. And that endurance, in turn, produces character. I've wondered how to talk about character. Um, I think of it, my dad used to be a gearhead when I learned how to adjust the engine on my 66 Buick back in the day. Think of it as your idle speed on the engine. You can step on the accelerator and you go, and it can go up. Sometimes it drops down when you're climbing a hill, right? But you're, there's, a, there's a default speed for your engine. Now, character is your default. It's where you go back to. It is, as the late Colin Powell said, it's who you are when nobody's looking. And if you have borne up under suffering and you've learned to endure more than you thought you could, your character is going to be of a different quality than it was before. A well-tuned engine can do things that an untuned engine can't. Like I said, my dad was a gearhead back in the day, and when he was in the Navy, he, he took a Buick, and he did some stuff on it. Now, any of you remember or ever see, the for the young people, sorry, I'm, I'm looking at you guys because you don't know the same pop culture references I do. Um, do you remember the old Batman series from the 60s? you remember the Bat, Batmobile with the big wings on the back? My dad built those on the back of his Buick. <laughs> Gave it a beautiful paint job, but that was just, that was just the decoration. <laughs> Under the hood, he rebuilt the engine from scratch, and the biggest thing he did was he took the drive shaft and he threw it up on a lathe and spun it really fast, and he kept adjusting it till it didn't wobble at all, no matter what speed it was going at. So he was on leave. He was in the Navy. Uh, he came back home on leave, and he was driving up to New York uh, to see a bunch of friends, and he's out on the highway, and up next to him comes a Corvette. And the guy looks over at him and goes, And my dad was young. You know, more testosterone than sense. And so they raced for 120 miles. (laughs) Brand new off-the-line Corvette and my dad's rebuilt car. After 120 miles, they were still neck and neck. And... My dad thought to himself, I have to get off at the next exit. This is going to be a draw. (laughs) When all of a sudden he looks over and smoke is pouring out from the engine of the Corvette. (laughs) It was a good car. But it was only up to factory specs. It hadn't been tuned the way my dad's car had. And when we know our destiny in God's kingdom... The sufferings we go through can produce that endurance that tunes us in a different way. So we have the ability, when the moment of stress comes, to act differently than we could otherwise. In fact, the goal of God in all of this, this process we call sanctification or becoming holy, is to form in us the mind of Christ. 
so that we can react the way He would react in a situation. And that's the hope we have. You see, suffering doesn't necessarily produce hope. In fact, I'm a pastor. I spend a lot of time dealing with suffering people, being called into hospital rooms, not always to visit a member of my church, but often by a loved one who is a member of our church, but I'm stepping up to deal with a situation with a person who has no faith. Can I tell you what suffering usually produces? Bitterness. Rage. Anger. Violence, even. Violence in our emotional relationships with the people around us get fractured or strained. Sometimes violence that breaks out physically. But when you have a hope that goes beyond this moment and what's going on right now, and you can see what's going on right now as something that's training you for something far greater, the sufferings of this life that are inevitable in any event can become the catalyst God uses to form in you the character of Christ. And that's God's purpose. How do we gain the strength to love our enemies and pray for our persecutors as we're instructed to do in the Sermon on the Mount? We suffer. Sometimes at their hands. And as G.K. Chesterton said, the Lord's great commandments were love your enemy and love your neighbor and sometimes they're the same person. We suffer. We grow in our endurance. That produces in us a character that is like a reflection of the one who has given us the gift of eternal life by laying down his life for us while we were yet his enemies. That's what the whole of the life of the church is about. The church fathers referred to the life of the church as the gymnasium. Now, they didn't mean in the building. What they meant was you were training. You go for weight training because you're going to go hit the football field or hit the volleyball court or go out running. You grow in strength so that you can test that strength or have that strength tested in the moment of truth. We're here to train, which is what the season of Lent is all about. But we train because we know what a high and noble destiny we've been claimed for. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, virtue untested is vanity. So we thank you that you test us. That by your testing we grow in strength that the sufferings that would be our lot in this life anyway can become the catalyst for godly growth because we know that you have assured us a place. Bless us, Lord, with the strength to endure, a character that makes the choices you would make in the moment of truth, the choice even to love our enemies and pray for our persecutors make different choices than our friends to be a blessing for you so love the world that you gave your only son 
that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. We thank you in his name. Amen. Thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that Thou art. Be Thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, Thy presence my light.